Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Christmas Eve is right around the corner, and we want to invite you to join us for Christmas with Collective. We will have four identical Christmas Eve services starting on December 23rd at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. and continuing on December 24th at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. It's going to be an amazing night, so we want to encourage you to grab your family, your friends, and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. To learn more, head to www.mycollective.church. Now let's get into Sunday's message. So last week, I know that a lot of you left excited, maybe even a little bit nervous, but ready to invite people to Christmas Eve at Collective. So I want to start today by checking in and just seeing how things are going. How'd it go? Thumbs up? Good. Anybody bad? You can be honest. Uh, anybody in the middle? Uh, I know that was for me. Like I brought the Christmas trees to one of the people I was going to invite. And I was like, hey, man, I got these really great little Debbie things. He's like pumped. And I was like, I want to invite you to Christmas. And he was like, hey, do you want to talk about something else? I was like, all right. So this got weird really quickly. Um, Hey, I, I know last week's sermon was challenging for a lot of us, including myself. Um, it was a bit uncomfortable because inviting people to church can be intimidating. But one of the reasons why I love leading this church, why I love being your pastor, is because I know that when I bring a heavy challenge from Scripture on a Sunday morning, like the challenge last week to seek and save lost people, I know that you will wrestle and respond to that challenge even though it might take you out of your comfort zone, right? Even though it means that you have to be vulnerable, even though it means you have to be bold and take a risk. And I'm really proud of so many of you for doing that. Uh, Coming out of last week, I heard some really great stories about invitation that I want to share with you all. I had uh, a couple come up to me and tell me that they sat down uh, together and they made a list of all the people they wanted to invite. And currently their list has 10 people on it. And they explained that one of the reasons that they're so excited to invite and why they're willing to be bold is because it was just a year ago at Christmas Eve when they were both baptized. And over the past 12 months, they've seen God do incredible things in their life, and they want that for others in their life as well. Nate, our collective kids director, told me that last week our fourth and fifth graders spent time uh, thinking about invitation and writing down the names of people they wanted to invite. And these kids were filling up notebook pages with names, classmates and friends and neighbors. Um, The kids were so excited that last week we had hot chocolate bombs for them to pick up with their invite cards. And after first service, we had to start rationing them because kids were taking so many of them. And they took over 150 of those last week. Uh, I heard about a conversation with a couple who had already made plans to be out of town for Christmas, um, but recognized that this is the best time to invite and bring people, and so they're making plans to come back. And they began to talk with their parents about, hey, uh, next year we're we're not showing up. We're going to stay here because this is what our friends need to bump into Jesus. There's a woman at Collective who just started serving. She joined the team uh, and she's been inviting some friends for a while and they said yes. And so she contacted uh, one of our leaders and said, hey, can I switch weekends with somebody else so I can sit with my friends on a Sunday coming up? And I heard a story about someone who uh, has been spending most of their time watching online, but they invited some friends uh, to Collective, even though they watch online and their friends said yes. And so they're figuring out how to show up together. Uh, And the reason I share these stories is just to encourage you, um, just to remind you that there are people in this room that felt that challenge, that felt that push, and they're leaning in, uh, and good things can happen. They are happening, uh, even in the fear of invitation. And so just as a reminder, we are hosting four identical Christmas Eve services, December 23rd at 3 p.m., 
and 5 p.m. and December 24th at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. And you can attend whatever service you want. Um, I would encourage you to attend the service that the people you are inviting or bringing would go to. Make it as easy as you can on those people. Uh, and like I said last week, you can attend more than one. If your friends are gonna kind of spread out, your family's gonna kind of spread out, your family goes to one, friends go to another, you can come to all the services that you want because it's really gonna be a wonderful night. Um, we have a hot chocolate bar that'll be set up. We'll sing some Christmas songs. Collective kids will do what they do best. They have a great night planned for their birth through fifth graders. The movie that we're gonna be talking about is the number one Christmas movie of all time. It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, there'll be photo ops and whim whimsy and a few other surprises. And so when you came in today, there were invite cards on your seat. And so if you missed last week, grab them and start inviting. If you handed all of yours out, you can grab some more. Uh, after service, we even have extra little Debbie Christmas trees in the lobby if you wanna grab a few of those to go with your invite cards. Like I said earlier, we're out of hot chocolate bombs because the kids here are just crushing it, um, but kids can grab the little Debbie trees as well. Now to make it even easier than that, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna step off to the side for a second. I encourage you to take a picture and post it on social media and tag some people or take a picture and text it out. And the reason why I'm standing off the side is because you don't want me in the picture, right? So do it now because I'm about to walk back over. The first service, people were like, you took too long. Don't do that. I saw that. That's nice. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, I wrote that down. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it takes 10 seconds, 10 seconds and just that little bit of courage, right? Let's not, let's pretend it, it's, this is easy. It takes 10 seconds and a little bit of courage to invite somebody. But we know that one invitation can change someone's life. Someone asked me last week why I'm so passionate about invitation. Uh, and what they really said was, you don't hold back when talking about inviting. And the reason why is because when I was in middle school, my neighbors invited my family to church. We'd never been to church before in life. We had no desire to go to church or know who Jesus was, but we went and it changed our lives. And so it's not hyperbole when we say that one invitation can change someone's life because one invitation changed my life. And really one invitation from a neighbor is the reason why this church exists. Now, before we dive into the Christmas classic for today, I do wanna answer a few of the questions that have been asked of me and my staff over the past few weeks. The first one is, will we have church on the morning of December 24th? The answer to that is no. That is a Sunday. We're not doing 9.30 and 11 a.m. Then having something different at 3 and 5 p.m., that would be crazy. Um, so December 24th, we're just doing services at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. that day. Some people have asked, is Collective gonna do online? We are, it'll be December 24th at 5 p.m. Uh, another person asked, hey, if I have flexibility, I can go to any service of the four, which ones should I go to? And so if you're able to attend any of the services, you have flexibility, your friends have flexibility, whatever it may be, our best guess is that December 23rd at 3 p.m. and December 24th at 5 p.m. will probably be the least crowded just based on stuff that we've learned in the past. So if you have flexibility, we encourage you to go to one of those services, right? Um, so let the other services be full and let us run out of seats at those. Another question that I want to address was actually sent in uh, through a social media post a few months ago, and it came from one of our fifth graders. Uh, a few months ago, she asked, if a thousand people show up at Christmas, will you gritty? Talking to me. Um, so I'll tell you what I've been telling my staff. Uh, when it comes to Christmas, we're expecting 800. Um, we're preparing for 900. Um, but we are boldly asking God for a thousand people to show up. Now, do I think a thousand people will show up? No. Um, but that's why we're creating space. That's why we're doing four services because maybe, maybe it happens. And so to answer the question of if a thousand people come to Christmas Eve, will I gritty? 
Heck yes, I will. Uh, I will gritty my way onto stage January 7th when you're here. And so I don't, and just to be clear, I have no idea how to do it. I've seen it. Do it. Do it. First service, people are like, that's why I'm inviting. Invite for the Jesus stuff. But like, if you need more incentive, it's me embarrassing myself. I, just to be clear, I have no rhythm. Uh, I tried to learn the violin when I was in college. The teacher asked if I was dyslexic. Uh, I can't, I can't. But you know what? If we break a thousand, I'll, I'll gritty. And so if you need that, that's your motivation. That's terrible motivation. You don't want to see it. But, uh, you know, maybe I'll get Aria to do it with me and she'll, she'll school me as a fifth grader. Now, uh, one more thing, and this is just a reminder. Um, we're probably not going to talk about it the next few weeks, so, so I need you guys to, to listen up. Um, we will not be having service on December 31st. That's a Sunday. We won't be doing church. And the reason is because we have renovations planned for the week after Christmas. So when you come back January 7th, some things will be a little different. Uh, first, our services will be at 9, 15, and 11. You're the 11 o'clock doesn't impact you. 9.15, 9.30, they're super confused right now. Uh, I'm assuming they're all going to show up late on January 7th. We're creating a little bit more space in between service so that when we do the fun things outside, there's not so much overlap and we don't have as many issues when it comes to parking. So January 7th, services will be 9.15 and 11 a.m. These auditorium walls will be pushed both sides 10 feet. We'll have uh, a little bit of an upgrade to the audiovisual in the room to better fit. It's a square right now. Room will be rectangular, so we're making those changes. Um, a big thing is we won't have access to that back parking lot anymore, right? That hallway that you walk through, if you park back there, that'll be gone. That'll be the auditorium. So if you try to open that door, you're opening a door that's right in that corner. Please don't do that. Um, and then in January, there'll be a little bit more work. And so um, when you show up, we expect you guys to notice it. You know, we, we can't get everything done in two weeks. Um, over the month of January, you'll see we're making some adjustments to collective kids. Uh, parent care is actually becoming another classroom because there's so many kids back there. And we're shifting some of the age brackets around and we'll develop kind of a new, uh, smaller parent care room. And so the reason why we're doing all this and the reason why things will be different on January 7th is because we're running out of room and we never want to be the church that kind of fills the seats and goes, hey, this is, this is good because um, we know that God asks us to do more and to create more space. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, uh, before I get to the sermon, what I want to do is I just want to take a quick moment uh, to pray. Um, you know, talking about invitation and talking about Christmas and all the things going on, um, just an opportunity to pause and pray for the people in our communities and really for the people that we long to hear the good news um, and experience the hope that became real uh, when Jesus was born. So let's pray. God, um, one thing that we know is true is that there are just so many people in and around us um, that need you. Um, and God, this is one of those seasons where uh, I think we wake up some mornings and we feel like something's missing from our lives or something's not right with our lives or we become uniquely aware um, that we're hurting, that we're broken, that we're lost. And God, we know that there are people who woke up this morning feeling that way. Um, and so God, as we talk about invitation and we talk about inviting people to come experience you, um, God, we pray that you give us opportunities to invite those people um, the people who are searching for something or longing for something or, um, to be honest, begging and, and, and praying for something different in their lives. And um, God, we have this opportunity to invite them to experience that through you. And so, uh, God, give us, give us boldness, give us courage, um, give us resiliency um, for those who have invited in the years past and have heard no and no and no again. Um, God, uh, give us the ability to get back up and, and ask again, because we know that one invitation, one experience with you can change someone's life. And that's what we want. And so, um, God, we just pray that you overwhelm us 
on Christmas and you overwhelm this place, God, we pray that we run out of seats. We pray that we run out of hot chocolate. God, we pray uh, that we run out of parking. Uh, we pray for all these incredible things because it means that people are experiencing you um, and getting the hope that comes uh, through trusting you and in a relationship with you. So God, thank you. Um, we can't wait to see what you do this Christmas. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. So last Christmas, for the first time ever, Ray and I introduced our girls to one of the greatest Christmas movies from our childhood. Uh, we sat them down, we made them popcorn and hot chocolate. We all got under a big comfy blanket and we turned on the movie, A Muppet Christmas Carol. And about three minutes in, uh, they looked confused and asked us to watch something else. I think the Muppets <laughs> freaked them out. Uh, and to be honest, um, my heart broke because my favorite Christmas movie of all time has the Muppets in it. And I knew in that moment that I could never show them this movie because it would probably give them nightmares. Uh, my favorite Christmas movie of all time is a movie called A Muppet Family Christmas. Have any of you heard this or seen this movie before? This is old. If you haven't watched it, I'll explain how you can watch it today and you need to do it. Washington's not playing. You have plenty of time uh, to watch. In 1987, A Muppet Family Christmas debuted with over 20 million people tuning in to watch this Christmas crossover that included the Muppets, Sesame Street, and kind of the unknown puppet show called The Fraggles. It was like a Jim Henson dream, right? See, you wanna watch it now. Um, and then for the next 15 years, this was a staple on televisions during the Christmas season, but today it's rarely seen. Right? That's why most of you haven't seen it. And the reason why is because this movie, it's about 45 minutes long and there's 20 different Christmas songs in the movie, but they forgot to get the rights for the song. And so it's just illegal. And so it's not on television anymore or else they would get sued. Um, but today you can actually find edited versions of it on YouTube. So if you Google a Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, it's 45 minutes, it's well worth your time. Um, if you are someone like me who grew up loving the movie, you can't find it on DVD anymore unless you find these like secondary DVD sellers and it's like 60 bucks because they're taking advantage of our nostalgia. I do own one of the copies. <laughs> now, assuming that you haven't seen this movie before, the premise is that Fozzie Bear decides to invite his Muppet friends to his mother Emily's farm for Christmas. But unbeknownst to Fozzie, Emily Bear is preparing to go to Malibu. She wants to go surfing for Christmas. And she's actually rented out her farmhouse to a guy named Doc and his dog named Sprocket, who just ultimately want to have a quiet Christmas in the country. Side note, you're gonna watch this movie and you're gonna think this is everybody's Airbnb nightmare, because it is, right? He just wants to have a quiet house all to himself and all of a sudden it's puppets, right? And it's not just puppets, it's a talking frog who loves a talking pig. It gets super weird, okay? <laughs> But because of the surprise visit, Emily Bear changes her mind. She decides to stay in town, and they all begin to settle into Christmas as a group uh, when all of a sudden some carolers arrive, and it's Big Bird and the Sesame Street crew. Then as it goes, a huge storm hits. They all get trapped in the house for the holiday. Fozzie Bear builds a snowman. They do a comedy routine. Animals band <laughs> Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, which is the best band name ever. Uh, they play a rendition of Jingle Bell Rock, which will be the best version of that you've ever heard. And then Miss Piggy, who was on a modeling shoot. This sounds crazy. For those of you who are like in your 20s, this explains millennials, okay? This is how we grew up. This is why we are the way we are. Miss Piggy, she's on a photo shoot. The storm hits, and then Doc goes out on a dog, sl dog sled, brings her back to reunite her with her love, 
Kermit. And the movie ends, and they all sing a medley of Christmas carols in exchange of months of gifts. Uh, this mu movie is just pure chaos, like the entire time. But throughout the movie, there are these, there's different jokes that play out. There's these running gags. One of them is that everybody who enters the house slips on the icy patch. Um, the Swedish chef tries to knock out Big Bird and cook Big Bird for the Christmas dinner. <laughs> Um, Oscar the Grouch just pops in every once in a while to tell everybody how much he hates everything. And there's Animal and his relentless pursuit for presents. Check this out. Right, so this line from Animal, peace on earth, give me presents. Even if you've never seen the movie before, it's possible you've heard that line or seen it on a tacky Christmas sweater. Uh, and it's funny, but at the same time, it's kind of deep as well because it really portrays this tension that exists during Christmas. Right, think about how many of you as a kid asked Santa for peace on earth and also Legos or for all the dogs to have a warm home this Christmas and a Polly Pocket or for your parents to stop fighting, but also that video game. Right, we, we want peace on earth and goodwill toward men. We want this to be the most wonderful time of the year, full of joy and hope and love, but we also want presents. And it's kind of complicated. Now, listen, this isn't going to be one of those sermons about how you shouldn't give or receive gifts at Christmas. This isn't going to be one of those sermons where I try to make you feel guilty about buying presents or any crap like that. Just look at the lobby, right? If you think about what's going on in the lobby, tell me that doesn't lift your spirits, right? For those of you who bought Christmas gifts for the kids this week, tell me that shopping for these toys didn't just bring immense joy knowing that kids were going to fall in love with the gifts that you probably loved when you were a kid this Christmas season, kids who didn't have presents otherwise, now, maybe when you buy gifts, don't overspend. Maybe don't go into debt. Maybe focus on quality instead of quantity. But that's just good financial wisdom. But here's what I want to press in today as we talk about this idea of giving and the season of giving that we're in. I want to talk about the gifts that God gives us that do actually bring peace and hope and joy. But how in order for us to receive those gifts, there has to be a shift in our thinking and how we approach God. And to do that, we're going to read from a story in John 6 in the Bible that starts like this in verse 2. It says, A huge crowd kept following him, him meaning Jesus, wherever he went, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Now, every time that Jesus taught, he drew a crowd. And the crowd would be full of people who believed he was the Son of God. There would be people who were skeptical about the whole thing. There would honestly just be people who wanted to see him perform miracles. But this time, the crowd is huge. Scholars believe that there are over 15,000 people sitting on a hill waiting for Jesus to teach. And seeing the crowd and seeing how big they were, but also because Passover was coming, Jesus wanted to feed them. And so he asks one of his disciples, Philip, what it would take to feed the crowd. And Philip says, it would have taken us months. It would take us months of work just to feed everyone who's here. Philip essentially tells Jesus it would take a miracle. That's when another disciple named Andrew spoke up and he said, there's a young boy that has five loaves of bread and two fish. Can you do anything with that? 
And so Jesus called for the food. And in verse 11, it says, then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish and they all ate as much as they wanted. And so what Jesus does is he multiplies the bread and the fish and he feeds every single person there. Verse 12 says, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. This is just an aside, but I love this part of the story. The fact that they had so much left over that they ended up filling 12 baskets with food. They had more afterward than what they started with, which I think is just such good imagery of what God can do in our lives. God can do more with a little than we can do with all of it. The story continues in verse 14. It says, when the people saw Jesus do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And this moment is really important in this story because it's this crowd realizing that Jesus is who he said he is. It's them acknowledging that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the Messiah sent to rescue us from our sin. And after doing all this, Jesus slips away from the crowd to be by himself. And later that night, he walks on water and he calms a storm that's going to capsize a boat that the disciples are in, minor details for today. Um, But then the next morning, something really interesting happens. The crowd sees that Jesus is on the other side of the Galilee and so they, of the Sea of Galilee, and they get in their boats to seek him out, which we understand. Right? The day before, they just watched him take five loaves of bread and two fish, multiply it and feed 15,000 people. So they want to go see him. And so they go to the other side, and when they get to Jesus, they ask him, do you have any more of that bread? Right? They, they say to Jesus, hey, we're hungry. Can you feed us again? But Jesus says this in John 6, 27. He says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Jesus makes this as simple as possible. He says, I will give you something better than the food that you want. I'm here to give you something for your soul. I will give you eternal life, a gift that only I can give you. But the thing is, the crowd isn't interested. They answered, show us a miracle, a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. How quickly things change, right? Less than 24 hours before this, they were calling Jesus the son of God. And now they're telling Jesus, if you want us to believe in you today, do a miracle. Like he didn't just feed 15,000 people. Like he didn't just walk on water and calm a storm with just a few words. But today they wanted more. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did, God did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so Jesus says to them, I am not going to give you what you want. You want bread to fall out of the sky so you will be physically full. You want something temporary. You want something that can spoil and go stale, but I wanna give you a gift that is better than that. I want to give you eternal life so your soul is full. And they're pissed. They're so angry because this isn't what they want. They want what they got yesterday. They wanted the gift of bread from Jesus. But Jesus says, no. Let's pause there in the story. Before you read how the crowd responds to Jesus' response of trying to give them the gift of eternal life, and let me ask the question, what do you want from God? 
What do you want from God? What are you asking God for? Let's, let's make it a little bit more Christmassy. What are you asking God for this Christmas? What would your wish list look like? Why are you seeking him out? I guess one of the questions I could ask is, why are you here today? Because I think we have a tendency to be like the people in the crowd where we are approaching Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, we want bread. Right? We, we want something tangible right now in our hands instead of something eternal. We want something that fills this immediate need that we have rather than something that's transformational. We want bread instead of the bread of life and everything that comes with an eternity with Jesus. And so we approach God saying, peace on earth, but also give me presents. God, please give me that car. God, please give me that new phone. God, please give me those shoes. And we write down this list and hope that Santa, I mean, Jesus, delivers, right? God, please give me bread and fish. And God says, I've got something better for you. How about the bread of life? How about something that will change your life? How about something that will heal your marriage? How about something that will give you hope and a purpose? How about forgiveness and new life? How about self-worth defined by the God of the universe? How about a relationship with me? You know, Jesus is offering us a gift that is so much better than the things of this world. But the question is, do we want that? And, and hear me when I say this. There's nothing wrong with asking God for tangible things. There's nothing wrong with praying to God for that job that you want or asking God to help you find a godly spouse. There's nothing wrong with praying or asking or even begging God for healing from that trauma or that illness or healing in your marriage. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. We should trust God and ask God for this thing. Scripture tells us that we are to tell God what we need. But we have to understand that sometimes God offers us something different than what we are asking for. Because the bread of life is the gift of hope even when we don't get the job that we prayed for. It's the gift of peace even though the diagnosis is terminal. It's the gift of joy even though there is pain. It's the gift of new life so that we don't have to be defined by our past. It's the gift of freedom so we don't have to be slaves to our sin. It's the gift of community so we don't have to do life alone. It's a gift of grace and endless second chances. In the book of Romans, Paul writes about the gifts that God gives us. And he says this in Romans 5, starting in 15, he says, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. Here's what he's talking about. At the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve are told by God to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God explains to them that if they eat the fruit of this tree, it will be the downfall of humanity. But Adam and Eve disobey God because they wanted the fruit. They wanted this food that was right in front of them. They wanted something different than what God was offering to them, right? connecting it to the story that we're in the middle of in John 6. Instead of wanting the bread of life, they just wanted the bread, right? the, the little thing right in front of them. And the result of their disobedience was that sin and shame entered the world. And their decision is the reason why there's pain and death and destruction today. Paul continues, he says, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man named Jesus Christ. He says that God's grace and forgiveness are greater than the sins of this world, that they are greater than the mistake that Adam and Eve made. They are greater than the pain and death and destruction of this world. He says this in verse 16, he says, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Right? Choosing our way over God's leads to condemnation. 
Like our sin separates us from God, but God's free gift leads to our forgiveness, right? Or that free gift that is Jesus, Jesus who is the bread of life, Jesus who is perfect in every way, Jesus who is executed on a cross, Jesus who took on the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, Jesus who was buried in a tomb and then resurrected three days later, proving that he was the son of God. That is the gift. That is the gift. And listen, following Jesus doesn't mean your life will be perfect. It doesn't mean that all the bad things go away, but it does mean that we can have peace and hope and comfort and joy in spite of the pain and death and destruction of this world. And the reason that is true is because of Jesus and his gift of grace and forgiveness and new life. So let me ask the question again, what do you want from God? What are you asking God for? What are you standing in front of him saying? Are you asking for bread? or the bread of life. Let's go back to the story in John 6, right? The crowd wants bread. They're begging for bread. They're asking for bread. They're saying Moses gave us bread, even though they don't understand that God's the one who did it. And Jesus offers this better gift, eternity with him. And here's what happens in John 6, verse 66. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. They left. Like this group bailed. They went on to find the next thing that they could find that would give them temporary joy and temporary hope and temporary peace because those weren't the gifts they asked for. Jesus didn't deliver what they wanted. They didn't want what he was offering. The story ends with this. It says, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And one of the reasons why is because there are two very obvious responses to Jesus. We can walk away or we can recognize that Jesus has the words that give eternal life. And really it all comes down to what we want. It all comes down to what we are asking for, bread or the bread of life. And for many of you sitting in this room who are sitting in the middle about a decision on Jesus, you're trying to stay on the fence. You're trying to stay in that middle place. The story reminds us that you can only stay there for so long. You can only stay stuck in that middle spot trying to go back and forth for so long. And so the question is, are you going to walk away because you are hoping for something different than what Jesus is offering you? It's very clear what Jesus offers us. You don't need to stay kind of stuck in that place for a long time. It really just comes down to a choice. And just like the crowd, are you going to walk away or are you going to recognize that what Jesus gives is so much better? Do you want the gifts of grace and forgiveness and new life or not? Over the past few weeks, uh, we've been hitting the invitation challenge really hard, but we've also been hitting the baptism challenge really hard because I know there are people in this room who have never taken that next step. I know there are people sitting here who've never publicly declared their faith in Jesus. There are people who've never received the gift of new life that Jesus offers. And every Christmas, as we head toward the end of the year, I'll hit this challenge really hard because celebrating people declaring their faith in Jesus during Christmas just feels right. Because they're celebrating hope and they're celebrating joy and they're celebrating peace. But not only that, it's people starting the new year having a new life in Christ. It's just a powerful thing. And so here's the hard challenge. In light of this story, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're on the fence about Jesus, if you've never been baptized, what decision are you going to make? Because the story reminds us there's only two different groups. There's not a group that said, well, maybe I'm going to stick around. I'm going to follow you, but I'm not going to believe that you are Jesus. It's walk away or become a disciple. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk away? 
And maybe it's not you walking away from your faith, but maybe it's another Sunday where you walk away, you head to lunch, you kind of put Jesus at a distance, you don't really think about it again until next Sunday. Maybe, maybe it's time to stop asking Jesus for bread when there's something so much better. So are you going to receive the gift, the gift of heaven and eternity that he gives us? Are you going to say, I believe and know that you are the Holy One of God? What choice are you going to make? Bread or bread of life? James, the brother of Jesus, once said this. He says, don't, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his pride possession. James is saying that every good and perfect gift comes from God peace and joy and hope and purpose and forgiveness and restoration and grace. They do not come from this world. They do not come from bread. They come from God. And he says that God gives us these incredible gifts because we are God's prized possession. And trust me when I say this, I don't understand why we're God's prized possession. Of all the things he did, of all the things he created, he chose us. And this doesn't make any sense to me because we are messy and we are broken and we're sinful, but God knows all of that. God knows that we're gonna screw up. God knows that we aren't perfect. God knows that we're still gonna choose our own way over and over and over again instead of his. And yet he still gives us good gifts because we are his prized possession, because we are loved by God. So let me ask again, especially in light of this Christmas, as you wrestle with these things, what do you want from God? Let's pray. God, um, I think sometimes the reason why we struggle to say yes to you, to receive the gifts that you're offering is because we don't feel like we're good enough. God, we don't feel like we deserve joy and hope and peace or new life or grace or any of the things that you offer because we're just so messed up. God, because we choose our own way over yours, because we're broken, we have these things that we, in our past that we can't let go of, we, we know we're gonna mess up again in the future. And so God, you're offering us this gift, but oftentimes I think we keep it at arm's length because we just don't think we deserve it. But God, then we, we read what James writes. And James says that every good and perfect gift comes from you and you give it to us because you think of us as your prized possession. The most important thing in this world are your people, the people that you love. And so God, even though we don't understand why, even though we don't often feel like a prized possession, that's how you see us. And God, that's how you see every single person in the world. And so God, as we wrestle with this idea of trusting you, God, as we think about the choices we have to make, or even God, the things that we're asking you for, God, I, I pray instead of being like the 15,000, God, I, I pray we're like the 12. The 12 people who look at you and say, your words give eternal life. We don't want anything else. And God, we can experience the good gifts that come with that. God, we're thankful for what you offer us. We're thankful for joy and we're thankful for hope. We're thankful for grace, for community, for self-worth. God, but help us this Christmas, help us every day recognize that even though we don't deserve those gifts, you offer them to us anyways, and it's our choice what to do with them. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for all that you do for us. We pray these things in your name, amen.